0: got it
1: okay that was crystal ball and it says it's outro music that i used as the intro today but that's because i'm rusty as the as the host of running the studio this is michael and I am here with our guest and my lovely co-host, Robin Schooling. Robin, how are you this week?
0: Hello, Mike. I am, uh, I am good, and thank you for calling me lovely. So that's a nice way well, to start you're welcome off
1: of, every time I see uh, that every time I see that picture, yeah, we'll talk about it. we'll talk about sexual harassment a little bit with our guests, but that <laughs> that was not that. that was just an honest uh, opinion so um so Robin, any any travel between now and the end of the year, or are you done? conference season is pretty much over. you got anything going on
0: i um I've got a couple of things coming up very local, so um okay. no no big trips scheduled. Between now and Good.
1: Yeah, me now neither. and the so holidays, we'll we'll, we'll we'll be doing shows together for you know hopefully between now and the end of the year then so that's great. Um, so I told yeah. I told our guest whose name is Mark that we would engage in a minute or so of witty banter as usual and that's so that's done. So let's get to <laughs> the important part of the podcast and bring our guest in. Uh, our guest today is Mark Clusen. Mark's a, an employment attorney out of the north northeastern United States. Mark, welcome to Drive Through. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Thank
1: you for having me. Is it snowing up there or I'm I'm not, always fascinated not by weather cuz I live in the south. We're we're 50ish here today, so not bad. So cool. Well, yeah, we're we're we're, the... we're we're a little early for snow, but you never know. I have a friend that lives in, in uh, Lake Saranac, and I think she said they expected snow this weekend, but that's up, up in the Adirondacks, so that's a little different than where you're at, I guess. So so for those of our folks who don't know you, which is probably a good number, um, why don't you tell tell our listeners uh, who you are and what you do, kind of, to do the intro piece? Well, I am a
2: management side labor and employment attorney, so I represent employers and have so for 30-plus years in all aspects of labor and employment law, so including uh, traditional labor, and have uh, been uh, able to see the evolution of employment law from the, the early days when uh, when when it really wasn't so much of a specialty to today when, uh, obviously, uh, employment lawyers are uh, among the busiest in, in the profession. So... It's uh as 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 you guys know better than anyone, there sure are a lot of issues around employment law these days.
0: Amen. Yeah. And and happy yeah. uh happy belated <laughs> Love Your Lawyer Day, which was, when was course, that? November first. That was November first.
1: <laughs> Funny, I didn't really? get any cards uh, or uh, messages. <laughs> huh. <laughs> and 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 it was probably followed or preceded by Tell a lawyer joke, or you know, all that kind of. You know, actually, uh, I, I work with a nonprofit, and we have a strong contingent of labor lawyers that m- many of whom deal with real, you know, like true labor relations union type stuff. But many of them also deal with the, you know, the same sort of issues that you deal with, um, Mark. And, and it, and it's. I mean, you're right. It the bu- business is robust, and plain you know, plaintiffs' bar seems to be really working hard on. Uh, especially as the states revise the California and others revise the laws, it opens up new opportunities, I think, and it makes it really hard for employers to to keep current. And I think, the, I think that's kind of the way that we picked out the show. We're not going to have like a single topic today. We're going to go through about three or four different things related to labor law mm-hmm. and, you know, jump around a bit. And I think Robin was going to take the first question. So why don't you go ahead yeah, and start and, with
0: Mark. And you gave us a lovely segue, uh, Mike, by – referencing uh everybody's favorite state to practice hr in mm-hmm. california um and i've i have the pleasure of of having a workforce in california so i get the the joy of dealing with that but certainly they've you know once again you know come to the top of our minds with their recently um pass legislation around around gig workers and the abc test and all that sort of thing. Obviously, every state is different. But when we look at, you know, sort of overall the gig worker movement, gig worker economy, you know, what what are you seeing there? You know, one of one of the questions that kind of comes to mind is, you know, uh where where is that all going to where is that all going to fall out? Um, you hear gig workers, especially kind of coming out of california now saying hey we don 't we like being a gig worker we don 't we don 't necessarily want to be an employee um, but what about things like benefits and and the other protections that you know any any legislation any regulations are going to bring in what what 's happening
2: well there 's an awful lot happening, as you said you know California is legislating it and but the issue of what we now call gig workers but we've always called independent contractors has really mm-hmm. been evolving quite a bit and you know part of it is generational I and mean, Gen Z and Millennials are not as interested in having mortgages or being tied down and along with that um, goes uh, their their interest in flexible work schedules and work-life balance uh, which, mm-hmm. uh, which pr- prior generations were not nearly as focused on and so the gig economy has evolved from, from those desires. But the issue that you raise, which is what about, uh, what about benefits? uh, It really is something that ultimately has to be dealt with because um, health, health insurance and pensions. When Gen Z and millennials start thinking about retirement and they say, Hey, I don't have 401k because I've, you know, I've worked when I've wanted to work, and I've worked when I needed money. is great when you're young, but when you start looking at retirement and um, and Social Security not being what may have been promised, it could be a problem.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you know, and and then you tie that, you know, like you said, back to the health insurance piece. You know, the again, um, the, the fact that you know we as a country tie. Health coverage to the employment relationship. Um, you know, we never really set set ourselves up as a as a United States workforce to be able to make it easy for independent contractors or gig workers because that's always been a challenge. Pre pre ACA, post ACA, whatever. Um, and I think that's another big consideration for people
2: no question and and the you know obviously the ACA has helped a bit in terms of getting more people insured but ultimately when employees um are in benefit plans they know for sure that they've got it it's it's being partly subsidized in almost every instance but when you look at something like what Uber has done for example where they're offering health benefits um but the but they're not paying for them the the yeah the gig worker is paying for them um, they 're just available at a slight discount because it 's group coverage that yeah. you know and that 's good obviously but um, but it 's still not the same sort of assurance that uh, that an employee has and i and I think where we 're really going to see the crisis hit in terms of how this works is probably more when we 're talking about retirement benefits because uh, that you know if that doesn 't start growing. You know, by mid to late 30s, uh, retirement is going to be, uh, in a, you know, far off in the future.
1: Yeah. Um, so w- one thing, Mark, just like if, if, a, if a, somebody owns a company and they have a, you know, a, a gig worker, in quotes, or an independent contractor, and that person comes to them and says, give me benefits, like w- what do you tell your clients?
2: Well, in most instances, I tell them that if they do, they really are converting that independent contractor into an employee. And there really has been a, you know, a real misunderstanding, and mis you know, with, with what is genuinely an independent contractor. I mean, I start with, when I talk to my clients about independent contractors, I really try to keep it basic so that I understand it. So I keep it simple. And I say, think about your plumber. He's an independent contractor. You call him. He comes to fix your pipes when you need him. he tells you when he 's coming. He gives you or sends you a bill when he 's done doing the work you don 't tell him how long to be there you don 't tell him what to what to do and how to do it, and he brings his own wrench that 's genuinely what an independent contractor is yeah. we have We have lots of Uh, You know, gig workers who want to be gig workers and consider themselves to be independent, but if they come to the same place every day and the, the person who gives them the work dictates what hours they need to be there and how they need to do the work and here use this laptop computer and you need to do it by this deadline, and we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. Well, they start sounding an awful lot more like an employee. Yep. And so you're going to have the federal and state governments come running around looking for employer contributions as taxes, unemployment benefits, as well as disability insurance. And all of that stuff can come back to bite the employer.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, the, I think one last, this this is, like, really – heavily nuanced legals. I mean, you're, you're not delving into joint employer versus misclassification, um, but, um, like, one, one simple question, because I think a lot of companies, especially smaller companies, make assumptions. Is, is there any sort of um, defined – like, say you use temporary employees, right? As you bring them in, you have a 90-day period or whatever – Um, You know, and then you convert them to full time. That's a pretty common practice. But a lot of companies are using people for eight months, a year, 18 months. Is there any legislation or or law that applies to how long you can use an independent contractor? Do you have to give them uh, benefits or something at a certain point? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question and it's and it's definitely it continues to be a gray area in the law because um the ACA has put a little bit of, you know, of parameters around how long you can have someone hanging out there without health insurance um as an independent contractor. And you know, the sort of the rule of thumb has been, you know, uh and you know more than 6 months you're you're getting into dangerous territory but there is but there is no bright line yet and it does vary from state to state as well but but it is as Robin referred to the ABC test before which is one of the you know the department of labor tests that has been used over the years and that the the ABC test has really been applied in this context as just one of the variables is how long has the individual been performing these services under the uh, company's roof. And so the longer it goes, the more that individual looks more and more like an employee. Is there a, you know, drop-dead deadline for when they have to be converted? The answer is no. Um, But it's one of the factors in the ABC test as Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, when when they cross over.
1: Yeah. So so it's kinda like buyer beware, right? Don't don't necessarily assume that there's a a, a solid rule of thumb. You really need to if you're not, if you're a business owner or an HR person, you really need to make sure you know your state or local laws and check with an attorney and handle all this stuff carefully because it can and it can come back and bite you pretty quickly, I think. Right. And and the, and the other thing is
2: <laughs> exact the IRS and the departments <laughs> of labor. But the other thing that you alluded to, Mike, is is the uh you know is is the temp agency right the so when somebody works for a temp mm-hmm. agency and they come in um, the 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 issue really isn 't so much whether they 're an independent contractor or not because they 're not they 're employed by the temp agency so but what what does play into uh, an employer 's potential liability is the joint employment issue, which is what you mentioned before, and the joint employment issue really is you know the employer gets to say hey they don't work for us they're just doing services here they work for that employment agency or that that temp agency um but the employer is still liable for things like sexual harassment when they when it occurs under their roof so even though that may not be their employee the employer still has potential joint liability for a lot of things including unpaid wages
1: <laughs> yep so well, we spent the first half of the show, which has gone by really quickly <laughs> as it always does. We spent the first half of the show talking about a really technical legal thing, and um, I wanted. And I said at the up, uptick or at the start, we were going to jump around. So let's let's move on to a different topic, Mark. And I uh, I told you in the in the pre-show that I looked at some of your blogs, and I noticed that you had written one about I guess. I would say it's generally uh, about a, a completely different topic from independent contractors, but you wrote a – you said that employers really need to know where the island of digital is, and so I guess my question is, first of all, where is the island of digital actually located, and why does it matter to employers today? Well, I'm
2: still looking for it, and that's part of the problem because when i when I read uh in a job ad that the employer was looking for a uh someone who was a digital native, I wanted to know where digital was because I didn't know any natives of digital and you know it's it is just the latest evolution of uh, what some courts have referred to as code for age discrimination, so mm-hmm. when a, you know, and, and there 's an awful lot of code and it 's you know it 's it 's pretty well hidden um unless you 're like us and you know what to look for so a digital native um is some is a term obviously that that refers to those who grew up in uh in the in the age of digital communication and know nothing. But that, as opposed to those of us who were born uh, with you know rotary phones as being the primary means of you know of outside communication, so when we see as employment lawyers we see job ads that refer to something like digital native we we understand that that's a subliminal, if not overt message to uh, applicants that uh, you better have been born um, in in a certain era and that's that's not uh baby boomers or you know or or even those or, you know in the greatest generation born before baby boomers so uh it's one of the many codes um and we and we see them in uh in, in this new form
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and and and, and, and uh, so many of those um yeah subliminal code words um because apparently everybody that um grew up on the island of digital, um, also is energetic and uh, works harder than they (laughs) play and, you know, enjoys ping pong tables and team happy hours. So, yeah.
2: That's right. Um, And I, I I looked at some, some ads on indeed and, uh, you know, before I wrote the piece that you're referring to and, you know, it was just, to me, it was immediate when I spotted them. So one, one Uh, employer advertised that they have a a nimble work environment. Well, you know, the older you get, the less nimble you are, I guess. So Mm -hmm. you want a nimble work environment, you're looking for younger candidates. Uh, One of my favorites was, though, that they were looking for a candidate that could identify white space, innovate, and serve up meaningful and modern ideas. That's just got a whole host of landmines Uh in there if, if you're looking for ageism.
0: I don't know know what white space is. Something,
2: yeah. I I I don't know what white space is, but anytime you start talking about modern ideas, you're really telegraphing what you're looking for.
0: Yep, yep. Well, um, Mm -hmm. speaking of modern ideas, this is not necessarily a modern idea because this has been going on forever. Um, But the most recent iteration of it, there's been a modern response to it, and that is the very rapid ouster of the mcdonald's c e o that just happened, and now their chief people officer has just left the organization as well here in the span of it's been what about maybe four days I think since this story came out what
1: at at most if how does not, that it might be speak to where
0: that. we're living right now?
2: Well, you know we really have seen this incredible evolution of the way in which sex harassment allegations have been dealt with by employers. It goes back, though, a little ways uh, to, uh, you know, when Fox ousted Roger Ailes in 2016. Yeah. It was really the first time we saw a CEO, a board chairman, I guess in that case, or just a high-profile individual lose their job over allegations of sex harassment and it not be uh, buried Um, as, you know, uh, moving on for other opportunities or uh, wanting to spend more time with their families. That's always my favorite. But, you know, a public announcement that this guy broke the rules and it involved sex harassment and he's gone. And we have seen, obviously, from, you know, from that day on, uh, a lot of this sort of, Public uh, execution or falling on one's sword over allegations of sex harassment. And what's fascinating about this particular one is uh, is is that um, it was only September that McDonald's got a or Estabrook himself got a letter from uh, over a hundred public officials uh, saying that McDonald's needed to clean up its act and sure. uh, and have tougher uh, Human resources policies around discrimination and harassment, so he got that letter sometime in late september and uh and and then who knows during during the the time that he was dealing with that p r crisis he may well have been having an affair with a subordinate employee,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and the other thing is, um, Mark, is that McDonald's has been, um, you know, kind of – the. I deal a lot with labor and employee relations issues, right, and one of the big things that's come up, you know, independently of me, too, is Fight for 15, and McDonald's has been targeted – you know, kind of as the prime example or the prime target, I think of the fight for 15 and not only related to wage issues, but also related to the way they manage their corporate culture and the fact that franchisees, you know, there's a lot of issues in the, in the, in the franchise chain, chain of command, if you will, treatment of the workers, you know, in the restaurant, in the franchise restaurants and, and McDonald's has, you know, resisted, um, not to say that they haven't responded but you know they're they're obviously not you know buying into all the all the allegations and complaints which i think are you know in, in some cases viewed as part of an overall corporate campaign to bring pressure on the brand and get them to capitulate to you know to something whether that's union organizing or paying a higher wage or you know, loosening the strand strains of independent contractor stuff that we were talking about earlier. Um, so it's, it's ironic to your point that, you know, this is, there, there was a letter letter sent to es, Estherbrook, but also there have been these repeated calls over the last two or three years that they've kind of, I don't want to say fallen on deaf ears. Cause that probably isn't the right depiction, but um, it, it, it really leaves them kind of in a, in a bad bad straight right now related to those other things as well. I guess, I guess that's more of a comment than a question, but I'd be interested what your thoughts are on that angle of it as well.
2: Well, I know there I know there's one guy in this country who's really thrilled about this and that's Ken Fisher. I mean, he, he was, uh, really the, the poster child after his, you know, comments out in San Francisco, uh, for, um, you know, what's wrong with, uh, with the leadership in you know in American corporations, and now you know three hundred billion dollars mm-hmm. has fled from his uh, you know from his funds as a result of his comments and when mm-hmm. you know th- when this happened with mcdonald's, it just is a, a, just another example of how um, you know, corporate leadership really needs to uh, to get its act together because you're never going to have an effective sexual harassment policy if the most visible, most senior person in the organization doesn't seem to think it applies to them. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think I think these, you know, the the undoing of Ken Fisher and the and the uh, termination of Estherbrook really are you know, they're not, they're just sort of the latest chapter, but they're also indicative of the fact that, um, that we, we, we understand that, um, you know, the the corporate cultures are crying out for change and that if, um, if the leadership doesn't think the rules apply to them, we're never going to get there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we were also going to touch just briefly, I guess, on the New York. We've got about seven minutes left, so we're gonna we're gonna run out of time to cover the four questions or five questions that we had. But we're also going to talk briefly about what's going on up in New York, because California, New York, the coasts, all this stuff will eventually move to the middle. But New York has some really robust um, sexual harassment requirements. Can you talk brief us on that quickly?
2: Sure. The you know, the, you guys mentioned California before, but you know, I'm in. New York and New Jersey, uh, where I practice, and uh, we're right behind California very closely uh, in terms yep. of the evolution of the, these laws. And the sexual harassment laws in New York State in particular have really taken a sharp change, um, really within the last few months, just uh, over the summer. What um, The new legislation in New York, well, this this goes back a year, that is, mandatory training uh, sexual harassment training for every employer in the state of new york it was uh had to be fulfilled by October ninth of this year and the uh there and there were no uh limits on the number of employees an employer had to have in order to comply so every yep. if you had one we employee, our... <laughs> you had to train them <laughs> there you go we, we had so, one and we did it. Yeah, there you go so uh and and it's uh so that so that was one thing that drastically changed, and of course, New York City had its own uh mandatory sex harassment training as well, which was a little bit different but the, the real drastic change, and this will ultimately move around the country, I think, was the elimination of the severe and pervasive standard of uh, for sexual harassment, for hostile work environment, sex harassment. I'm going to do this as quick as I can uh, without boring myself or you guys. Severe or pervasive meant uh, a single severe incident would constitute sexual harassment, and most of the time, single severe incidents were uh, sexual assault cases. Most hostile work environment sex harassment cases are pervasive, a series of events over a period of time. That's been the the state of the law, everywhere. It's still the federal law, but it is that is really the way sex harassment cases are judged in the courts. The behavior yeah. is it has to be severe or pervasive. Pervasive was the gray area that juries had to decide how many events over what period of time. Well, New York state law has now legislated the end of that standard under New York state law. still applies under federal law, but under New York state law now, there is no severe or pervasive standard. So that means that it's more or less up to a jury to determine whether behavior is sexual harassment, and that could mean one event, it could mean ten events, there is no limitation or no parameters. Literally, the precedent, under the the, the new statute, precedent involving severe and pervasive cannot be considered in court. That's a drastic change. Mm. It is an incredibly gray area, and it really leaves us employment lawyers sort of shrugging our shoulders uh, when our clients say, "What? What are the parameters for what constitutes sex harassment under yeah. New York State law?" Yeah. We're not sure.
0: Yeah, it'll. Um, that is going to be fascinating to see what, what you know, what what cases went their way through the courts to to get a little clarity on that.
2: Absolutely, and, and, and that's the only way it's going to play. play out it, it yeah. is it's going to it's really you know it's you just have to take the concept of this is the way i think of it offensive conduct okay offensive conduct offensive to who we still have the reasonable person standard so that still exists okay but where the where the parameters lie it could be anywhere it yeah. really could so we could have a single incident that that under the old law was not severe Okay, let's say someone tells a dirty joke at work. Is that a single severe incident? Certainly, under the old law, it wasn't. Okay, if they tell a dirty joke one time, it's not pervasive. But that's not the law anymore. So, is it sexual harassment to tell a dirty joke at work in New York State?
1: I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. That's and 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 that happens about five times a second, probably or ten times a second in New York and everywhere else (laughs) where people work. Right. I mean, not to say it's all okay. But it's, I mean, it's right. so pervasive in the, wor- in, in the, in the world. Um, anyway, well, look, we blew through, we're down to two minutes and 38 seconds. So we're not going to be able to get into the feedback topic. Um, so I guess one one quick thought, uh, Mark, and then we'll get your, you know, get your specifics of where people can find you if they're interested in contacting you. So the chief people officer followed the uh, CEO out the door. Not an obvious reason to me why they will let the chief people officer go, unless that person knew that Estabrook was seeing seeing the person. Got any thoughts on why that, beyond sacrificial lamb, was there a good reason to fire the chief people officer?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure one way or the other whether uh, he was fired or whether he left on his own. But it's certainly uh, there's certainly some message there and. Uh, I, like you, i am very curious to know what it is. Uh, it, you know, I'm just wondering whether he, he either holds himself responsible or the company forced him out because they held him responsible. Maybe he knew something and did nothing about it. But this goes to the issue that um, that really has been and, and will be, I think, one of the evolving issues around sex harassment policies, and that is can you go to HR when the CEO, who is your boss, is the one engaged in the sexual harassment. Because yeah. that really has been, you know, again, you know, that's been the standard. Uh, employees have got to complain to HR when they feel they're being sexually harassed. When they're being sexually harassed by the CEO, does the, does HR really have any power, any authority to do anything? I think the answer yeah. for most people would come to is no. So um, the question is, did that chief people officer know something? and didn't go to the board with it, that's a possibility.
1: Yeah, could be. So I guess we'll find out someday. Um, Listen, we're under a minute, so please share information where people can find you. And then also thanks for being on today. The show went quickly. It was quite interesting, and I appreciate having you as a guest.
2: It sure did fly by, guys, and I appreciate uh, being on with you. Um, My name is Mark Kluger. My law firm is Kluger Healy, and uh we could be found at klugerhealy.com and that's k l u g e r h e a l e y .com and uh we have um on our website some of the blogs that you referred to Michael uh there's a uh, there's a box if you want to subscribe Um, we try and take sort of a lighthearted view um, and not get Mm -hmm. too much into the the legal technical stuff in our, um, in our blog posts. So uh, there's a way to sign up for the blog right on our website. Great. Well,
1: listen, thanks a lot for being on. Uh, Robin, um, you want to close this out?
0: Yes. I, uh, I appreciate it. This was a great conversation. I'd love, I'm such an HR nerd. I love like, Diving in and talking the legal stuff too, so thank you, Mark, and uh, have a good day, Mike, and we'll catch everybody next uh, next time on Drive Through All
1: right, dirty thank you guys. music to take us out. Thanks, Mark.